One day we'll be able to release the podcast entirely in GIFs. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, an architecture podcast from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Tash and I'm here with Jeremy, Matt and Arch. And in this episode we visit the site of Auckland's newest culture house, the $35 million ASB Waterfront Theatre. It's designed by Moller Architects on the city's North Wharf and will become the home of the Auckland Theatre Company. Gordon Moller, who we interview here, is a past president of the NZIA and a gold medal winner. His past projects include Sky City and Sky Tower and the Viaduct Event Centre just down the road from this site. We went on site, some of us donned our hard hats and high-vis vests and talked to Gordon about the building. What difference will it make to the Auckland Theatre Company to have its own purpose-built home? Well, I mean, we always scramble to get venues. Auckland does need, and we knew that it needed a, a theatre of this size because there'd been a, a Howard, Howard, the same crowd that did the thing for the conventions, the Howard Report uh-huh. on theatres and performance venues. And they'd said five, six years ago that we needed a 600-seat uh, live theatre. So that was the first thing. Second thing is that we work a year ahead. So we, we book our shows at least one year ahead, back about 18 months. And it's always a scramble to find enough venues to suit the play we want to do. Because, you know, we do, a, we do some pretty serious avant-garde plays in the middle of the year, and we do some sort of bums-on-seats ones at the end, each end of the year. And, you know, you need to be able to get the right space for the right sort of um, play. Uh, notwithstanding that, what we've built here is basically a traditional type theatre with a stage proscenium, but it's got a thrust. So it's not like Q, but I mean, we've used Q a lot, and Q's fantastic theatre. So um, the difference it'll make is it gives a lot more security in being able to control our, our performances and our programme, and also our business, because we're growing from a 400 theatre, which is what Hayden is, to 650. So it changes the way you run the season, the way you you know, because you've got more seats. Yep. And it makes a different business for us. And we think we'll grow our audience from 80,000 a year, which it is now, to 130,000. And we think just because it's visible. Because half the people don't even know where Maiden it is. I mean, yeah. it's a great theatre, but it's, it's now we can't use it. It's shut because they've had a, a uh, earthquake. Yeah, yeah. So that was a real problem for us because we had four book shows booked there this year. So we had to really scramble to find alternative venues. So that's the, the biggest thing to do for us. We'll use it for 30 weeks a year, and the other 20 weeks we'll hire it out to other cultural groups, the ASB, uh, New Zealand Ballet, we've designed the stage for New Zealand Ballet, Opera's booked it for next year, um, Black Grace are interested in using it, so um, you know, we want to use it as much as possible. It's really interesting walking into the space because the proportions are... are um different from what I might have expected for a 650 seat um, space yeah. and, and you're quite right having the perhaps shallower um, uh, arrangement with the, for the audience it does make it more intimate you do feel quite close to the, yeah. the stage. Well Colin McColl really I said really what do you want in terms of the theatre experience and he said I want an intimate spoken word drama theatre mm. yep. so it's all lined in timber so it's like a very intense personal space theatre is intentionally, it's a drama theatre, so it's designed for the spoken word. They have a reverberation of about one and a half seconds, which is ideal for the spoken word. Marshall Day with the acousticians. And so we've made the theatre only 18 and a half metres deep. It's 24 metres wide, and the idea is that when you're in the back row, when you're on the stage, you can see the whites of the eyes of the people in the back row. So the idea is to make it very intimate intimate and very immediate. 
So this is huge, Gordon. This is a massive space, a full fly. Yep. And how tall, how tall is this? Uh, it's, it's about 17 metres, I think. It's about 18 metres to the grid. That's the grid, what's called the grid. Uh -huh. There's another working platform on top of that. You can see them up there. Yep, so through those gaps, and so we're looking up at this sort of timber slatted ceiling. Yeah. And well, that's a workspace it's, above it's, that. It's a working grid. They can drop things through. Through which you drop all the wires and yeah. rigs to, to yeah. lift up sets and curtains and things like that. Yeah. Have, have you ever had theatrical aspirations of your own, Gordon? <laughs> um, I was in a pop group when I was at school, that's about close as I got. <laughs> All the best architects are in bands, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. So all that construction noise was great, but made it a little hard to hear Gordon, so we took him next door to the neighbouring ASB building for a further chat. So Gordon, could you describe for our listeners, who can't see the building, but can look on our Facebook page to see some of your renderings, mm -hmm. what does the building look like? Um, and why did you design it that particular way? So we've got a site that's 35 metres square. It's in the middle of Wynyard Quarter, fronting on to uh, Halsey Street and Madden Street. And it shares a courtyard with the ASB. Uh, we're good friends with the ASB, so um, we worked in closely with them because they've got a 200-seat th uh, studio theatre on level two. So we designed the building such that all the public spaces are on the ground floor. So there's extensive foyers. Uh, bar and um, cafe opening onto three frontages. So, so it was very much about being interactive. Yes, yes. I think from an urban design point of view, because I've been involved with Waterfront Auckland for a long time, you know, the idea was in urban design terms is to make it as interactive and inhabited as possible. So, and it's light-filled spaces. So rather than like a lot of theatres where they're very dark and moody in the foyers, this is not. This is all um, open to the sun and the light and it does that on three sides, up through three storeys. And we've connected the foyers to get to the theatre through those three levels. So wayfinding is very easy through the main staircase and the lifts. So then the, um, the form of the building is really three boxes. So it's the auditorium and public space box at the front, running onto Halsey Street. It's the theatre stage and the fly tower, which is at the western end, which plugs straight into the back of the theatre, of course, through the stage. And then the other box is the lower box, which has the balance of the foyers, public spaces, the three-story high, three high atrium, and a function area and outside balcony. And that for. third space is the space that's immediately south of ASB? Yes. And forms the edge of that yes. square? Yes. Yep. The other thing is because we, we have a relationship with ASB, we've linked the two buildings, even though we're on our, their own title, we've linked the two buildings with a bridge at level two, because they have a studio theatre for 200, which we will be able to uh, use from time to time, and similarly they will use our theatre as well. And they have a foyer at that level, so we can link the two foyers at level two, yep. and the two theatre spaces. Yep. So um, there's obviously huge plans for this particular area and, and there's a lot of development happening at the moment. To date most of the buildings that have been completed around this area have been commercial or hospitality and this will be one of the first kind of more public or civic uses. What do you think it will mean for this particular precinct once it opens later this year? Well I think it will be um, uh, absolutely vital for the area because you know, you've got the food and beverage on North, North Wharf established, you've got the people like the ASB who's got 1500 people here. You've got the new developments that Willis Bond are doing of the um, apartments, and I don't know, there must be six or seven hundred apartments at least in that cluster, plus the commercial area that um, um, is being done across the road, across Madden Street, and the new five-star hotel, yep. uh, which is the Park Hyatt. So um, I think what it will do is give a breadth to the activity yep. in terms of bringing people into the theatre, and that they will then populate the restaurants as well, obviously. Yep. There are massive functional requirements in a building like this. Mm. 
But you've created a very clean and elegant looking structure. Was that difficult to achieve? Uh, I think we've, we've done quite a lot of theatre work in the past. I mean, we did the Sky City Theatre, of course, which is a 700-seat theatre. That's a reinforced sound theatre. We did the Brady Theatre in Wellington, which was a, a freeform theatre. So um, we're pretty familiar with what needs to be done and the fundamentals. You know, when you design, you know the fundamentals of the shape and the size and how it's going to work. And then you work with a consultant. So Brian Hall that I mentioned was the theatre consultant that gave us uh, a, a very good uh, guidance at the, at, the, at the outset in terms of the way we should arrange the theatre for this sort of thing. And secondly, John Mackay, who's a theatre consultant New Zealander, who's done a lot of theatre work, we worked with him before, he was just fantastic in terms of the logistics of just, you know, where you put the actual angles of the lighting mm. rigs and the gantries and all uh -huh. that sort of stuff. Um, and the other consultants, um, uh, Bullet George with the structure engineers, and uh, Marshall David, the acousticians, um, E-Cube were the um, service engineers. And it's a five-star rated building too, so that's been quite a challenge. Green Star. Green Star. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so you know, you do you it, these sort of projects. It's a team, and it's just a matter of how you how you um, weld the team together, really. Yeah. And um, I'm not very good at not getting my way. <laughs> 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 well, you know, I'm, I don't mean to sound flippant, but you have to have a vision and you have to yep. hold the line. That's my standard thing. You know, we're doing it with the hotel. Yeah. You know, with a, you've got to hold the line because you get incredible number of threats on every project and it's usually about the logistics of time and money and you know the project management profession is built up to the stage where they're managing people's resources and, and the ability to achieve things and so sometimes they don't necessarily see that certain subtleties that architects see as the, the humanistic side of the building and how it's going to work um, they don't see those necessarily as important so I think you have to have the vigorous debate and my view is that um, you have to be able to vigorously debate it and if you realise that you're onto a losing line and in fact what you're suggesting is a bit flaky, I always say you've got to back off and rethink mm. it. You, mm. don't, you don't compromise, you just have to say, right, I've got to rethink this, I've got to listen to what the operational people are saying. And we did that with Sky City because that, Sky City has five million visitors a year plus another million for the tower, 20 years old, think of the numbers. If you don't design fit for purpose, you know, same with this, you know, if you've got 130,000 a year people going through it, plus the, all the other ones, you've got 656 times 350, or whatever it is, you know what I mean, it's, mm, you've mm, got mm. to build fit for purpose as well as creating a great experience and a great piece of architecture. So, um, you know, it's like we all know, it's a, it's a series of creative compromises. You've designed, among many other things, the Sky Tower, Sky City, the Viaduct mm. Event Centre, yeah. this building. Do you see anything that links those buildings? Is there a particular approach that, that those buildings have in common um, that, that is kind of your signature as an architect? Well, because we've done a lot of houses too. But, yes. Um, I suppose um, I've always been interested in the way we build things in New Zealand. So, for example, Sky City is a million and a half square feet. Lots of people say things about Sky City, but if you look at it, it's a skeletal building. That's what it is. And we plugged in a lot of things. So when we did it, my idea was we had to break the building down because big buildings are hard to control. They are, and a lot of bad big buildings around. So we broke it down into elements, you know, of the, the main podium with the entertainment facility, the bus station, the theatre, you know, the hotel wings. It was all intentional the way we did that. And, and if you look at, um, other than South Island traditional, which is stone, but the bulk of North Island and New Zealand is framing, you know, using elements, a skeletal element, which is the timber frame building. Yep. So that was where that came from. 
Um, and if you look at these other buildings, the event centre, we were exploring uh, how to make big spans with a diagrid truss uh, and a lot of exposed structure. Um, even the point apartment's got a lot of exposed structure, yeah. both in, in situ concrete as well as steel. Steel, mm -hmm. yep. yep. Uh, and um, so I suppose I've always been interested in, my novel was described Sky Tower as being an architectural expression of structure because that's the way we started out. I said to Beckers, how do we build this thing? And they said, we wanted a stiff tower because of the wind. The wind is actually worse than the, well, they don't really have it. They have a design for a, for a Richter 9 earthquake yep. and 200 kilometer an hour winds. So, you know, structure and architecture and, and I suppose the other thing that has always interested me a lot is the spatial quality of what you do, because that goes back to our houses and how you control the light. So I've always been interested in modelling the spaces with light, both um, during the day and at night, and they don't, they don't copy each other. So that Very leads really nicely into probably the one, the one remaining thing I wanted to ask about. Um, probably safe to say that in terms of design process and things at the moment we're in a very digitally dominated environment but this great binder of drawings that you've got here and you've shown us as we walked around the building is absolutely chock full of these wonderful hand sketches isometrics perspectives colored in and pencil I just that's obviously a very valued method for designing and communicating and I'm just curious about any thoughts or observations you have about that as a technique for you but also mm. in the industry as a skill generally well, I'm interested in the way that the process is now happening because it is different with the particularly Revit, you know, three-dimensional modelling and the renders that come out of it and the compelling uh, uh, story they tell to clients. You know, they look. Sometimes you look at a picture, you're not sure if you're looking at the real building or or a uh, 3D render. Yep. And so your guy, your guys are pretty good. Yep. Um, and certainly that's the way of the future. And if you look at a lot of the buildings that have evolved over the last uh, 10 years with you know architects around the world. You'd have to say that the computer and therefore the, the process between you know parametric design, the, the yep. research, the development of parametric ideas, delving into a digital model, yep. coming out with the building out of the end, has changed the way of designing. Right. Do you think something different happens as a thought process when you're using your hand to sketch versus well, when do, you're using a mouse? But I'm very conscious of the fact that the others are not doing it. It's a dying art. You know, so what I've found interesting is you have an idea, you talk to the client, you've been to the site, you think about context, you have an idea of what you want to do, and you start drawing it. What happens is something comes out of the end of the pencil that isn't necessarily what your preconception is. Yep. So what's coming out of your head, it might be good or bad, but it's not the same. Yep. It's related. So in other words, there's another dimension that the pencil, as you draw, yeah. that process of drawing, Absolutely. starts to say, oh, should I could do that. Yeah. yeah, and you're talking about embracing that new stuff that comes out in yeah. the process, because yes. it leads you in yeah. a direction you might not have otherwise gone. The other thing is that I've used the technique, I mean, it's a bit of a showman stuff, and I mean, I know that a lot of architects think I'm superficial because I design something overnight, so I'm always conscious of that. I just always think quickly and I get up early, but I just draw in meetings. So uh, I've found over the years, you'll be talking about something, and a lot of clients can't visualise, and so they'll be saying, oh, well, you should do something. So if I draw it, I say, is that what you mean? No, no, not that. You know what I mean? So yeah. I just like the three-dimensional drawing because it's real. And, and, you know, those computer things are even more real. A lot of architects don't want to be real because they're working at their own plane. Yeah. Which is an intellectual plane and hugely admirable. I'm yeah. not knocking it. Yeah. They're working at an architectural plane, you know, not at a client plane. Mm. And I've just found, well, if you draw it like it is, is that, is that what they think they're going to get? Or maybe they don't want to get what they think they're going to get. Maybe they want to be surprised, you know. So these drawings here, I just draw 
to make sure that I know what's happening. Up that first stair, we're going to put glass panels with all the donors on, you know, all the mm. silver, bronze and everything. And I came up with this idea that I announced at the site meeting with the topping off ceremony. So we're going to put a panel at the top of stair three, which lists every person that's worked on the job. Oh, including the construction team? Everyone. Oh, great. Yeah. Not yeah. just yeah. the subcontractors, yeah. every name. Yeah. And yeah. I just yeah, announced that. that. And I said, so it doesn't cost you anything. We just want all your names up there. So if you want to, you can go up and see your name. I worked on the building. It doesn't yeah. matter if they dug a drain or did a bit of labour. Or recorded or... a podcast. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're just going to have a panel that'll have all the, obviously, the contractors. Oh, that's a great, that's a wonderful idea. And that idea. every yeah. person. And I thought, well, why not? You know, shit, everybody, we just dream the dreams. They actually build it. That was Gordon Moller of Moller Architects, designer of the ASB Waterfront Theatre, which opens in Auckland in October. Now, the news we can't talk about, but that's quite exciting, is that the building will house an artwork by an internationally significant artist that will be visible through the glassy facade. Um, Details on who that artist is going to be will be revealed soon, but we're not allowed to tell you. After the visit, what did you guys think of the building? So I, I particularly enjoyed the fact that we were visiting a building under construction. That just as an architect, that's always a really exciting, um, exciting time to see a building, and it was a great time to visit it, where you could see the shape and form, and there was lots of exciting noise, and you could see some of those finishes starting to go on. And, and that's not necessarily specific to this building, but it was a great time to go through. Um, something that probably the listeners won't have heard is that it was a very it was a very um, um, fast-paced trip through the building with Gordon as he <laughs> stormed around from room to room he moved telling, speed. Yeah, yeah he really does and there's quite a significant gap between the height of Gordon's mouth <laughs> and the end of Tasha's arm where the recording device was so we got a full run through the entire building and of course like any theatre it's functionally a, a very complex building there's a lot of different spaces and the building has to be very carefully considered and the relationship of how close things are to other things and it works in the vertical a lot because you're actually underneath the stage and moving things up and down into the stage and then you're circulating people up into great heights around the building. So I think um, that that's very well done and the separation between all those back of house things and front of house things is, is nicely handled and I can really imagine it'll be a very exciting space against the street where those that space in between the drum of the theatre and the facade will be full of stairs and vertical circulation and I can imagine a lot of great views up and down and a lot of interesting spaces around the edges of that building. I, I think the other aspect to that is as well as this sort of internal complexity or sort of orchestration of you know different activities, the building is quite generous um, to the uh, existing context or the future context um, that's there in that Winyard Quarter area and I, I think it's going to be such a um, great addition to the ecology of that area. Um, you know you've had the restaurants and, and the playground that started there to have that sort of um, level of activity that a theatre naturally brings with it mm. is, is going to be great you know I think you're going to really see this area hum. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like it's going to be lively at all hours Absolutely. too, doesn't it, with that cafe on the ground floor that'll be open to the street and, um, you know, the artwork being visible behind that glass facade. I felt it was quite an elegant building, but I was also interested in what you thought about the fact that there's a sort of, there's from the exterior, there's a slightly corporate feeling to me, which I think is comes from the material selection, the glass and steel. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I was quite interested in that because it doesn't feel like a theatrical choice of materials necessarily. 
No, but I do think that they were reading in with that um, uh, the existing buildings that are there, um, especially the ASB um, uh, building, which Gordon talked about, sort of aligning the panelling and the fenestration and, and so on, and, and that the building should have a relationship, um, the theatre should have a relationship to the ASB building. So I think that there are reasons um, behind that. Um, and I think in terms of the way the activity will sort of spill out onto the street that I think once it's inhabited, you will actually see it as a sort of really lively, dynamic space. Mm. Yeah, I suppose one material I, that we, we didn't draw specific attention to, one material that's definitely not a commercial building material is the cedar cladding on the outside no. of the building on the west side, yes. uh, kind of back from the street, and there's a lot of that, and that's an interesting choice. There's so much of it you can smell it mm. kind of at the I moment, that. and that's a really interesting mix of materials. You've got the commercial glazing system and a cedar clad element. Mm. And then probably the element that really makes it, that hopefully makes it really lively is light. You know, I can yeah. imagine it being a great building after dark from yes. a distance yes. mm. you know, and within. But uh, uh, it, you know, he talked about those options up at the top around the fly tower and how that might be lit, but also the, the activity and art inside the building activating the street with light. Mm. Mm. I wasn't able to go to the site visit, but the um, looking at it this morning, she's got off the bus and it was backlit from the north and the fly tower not only could you see the trusses in the fly tower but you could sort see all sorts of other detailing cool. behind there so the glass is um is quite transparent even though it is translucent to some mm -hmm. extent um, but yeah i think you're right lighting and occupation will bring it alive it will soften what could otherwise be considered yeah. a pretty hard it was interesting gordon we didn't include it but he said that he began by doing the lighting at stage productions when he was at school, yes. right. mm. you know, so I thought it was fascinating. Mm. And he also talked about um, the difference between daytime lighting of a building and nighttime, and that the two should be have, have different characteristics, mm. which right. I really like. He's obviously really attuned to that. Mm. Now, in other news, the Resine Architecture and Design Film Festival starts soon. It's in Auckland from the 5th to the 18th of May. Wellington from May 26th to June 12th. Dunedin from 16th to the 26th of June. And in Christchurch, finally, from the 30th of June to the 13th of July. Now, last week, Tash and I went along to a media screening of a great documentary that's in the festival, Strange and Familiar Architecture on Fogo Island, which is the fantastic story of Nita Cobb, a philanthropist, and Todd Saunders, an architect, who uh, have designed and built very contemporary structures on this isolated island off the coast of Newfoundland. The fishing industry in Fogo Island started withering from the 60s onwards with the emergence of big trawlers taking a lot of the catch. Mm -hmm. And the population now on Fogo Island is down to about two and a half thousand. And so Nita Cobb, who earned many hundreds of millions of dollars in the fibre optics business and is from the island, has gone back there and commissioned Todd Saunders to design these fantastic artist studios to which artists from all over the world come and stay, and quite an enormous inn, um, which has 29 rooms that people can come and visit the island and engage in activities there and all that kind of stuff. And what did you think, Tasha? It seemed to me just like this really fantastic tale of architecture being used to rejuvenate a local economy that had, had been dying for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And I think what's so endearing about this film is that it's, it's so personal for all of the... Um, 
mm. people in it. Um, Todd Saunders had grown up in this general area. He'd holidayed on Fogo Island. Um, he was intimately connected with um, the architecture and the people of this place, and it really shows through in the work. And it wasn't just architecture being helicoptered in, was it? There was such a they worked so hard to develop a high degree of collaboration with a lot of the locals who made all the furniture mm. for the buildings, and um, there was a group of uh, local women that they filmed making quilts for the inn and things like that. It's the efforts they went to to kind of stitch local culture into these projects um, was really remarkable, and I think it's heartening the way you could see projects like that being applied to you know, remote areas of any yep. country, including New Zealand, that have fallen on hard times and being utilised as a, a real force for good. Yep. Ab- absolutely. I mean, the, I think the strength of what they've done there is that the community was really vested in the project. I mean, that's an incredible thing to achieve. Um, and, and it's beautiful. I'm desperate to go there. Me too. The end's quite expensive, I <laughs> Yeah, <think>. I can <laughs> imagine. <laughs> They've got to pay for it, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And what do you think about the themes? Because it's broken into four themes, one of which is concrete. The themes are great because they're a helpful guide for kind of choosing the films you're going to see. I mean, the only downside of the festival is that I don't think I can take a week's leave to go and see Yeah, it. and it's like the constant <laughs> festival issue, right? Yeah. I'm pretty keen to see a film called Levitated Mass. Yes, that which looks is about fantastic. a 340-ton granite boulder displayed outside the um, <laughs> LA County that. Museum of Art. And who was the artist? I can't remember his name. Um, Michael Heiser. That's right. Yeah, that looks fantastic. <laughs> and... Um, the other one I'm quite keen on is, I can't remember the name of the film, but it's about a whole lot of beach houses on Long Island, some of them designed by Walter Gropius mm-hmm. um, and other people. There's also a John Lautner film in there. Oh, that's oh, the Built, on, Built on, on Narrow, narrow Land. Land. Yeah, that yep. looks wonderful. And this curious film, Double Happiness, which is um, about a uh, Chinese um, village that has been completely modelled on an Austrian heritage lakeside town. It's a real replica, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and and just what that means for Mm -hmm. the culture of the people who live there. Yeah, I'm intrigued. All the full programme of the Rialto Architecture and Design Film Festival is up now on rialto.co.nz. We urge you, whichever main centre you're living in, to go and have a look at it and plan your films. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page for um, some of Gordon's wonderful sketches of the theatre, some of which date back several years and have been delivered exactly as drawn. And also check out the video from Gordon's 2006 Gold Medal Award where you can hear his efforts in his band The Roulettes as recorded on 2ZB. (laughs) Get in touch on Facebook or Twitter and let us know um, what you think of the film festival picks. And that's it from the 76 Small Rooms team. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.